to Faith FM. You're listening right across Australia on 87.6, 87.8 or 88 on the Faith FM network or maybe on the internet. Maybe you're somewhere in the world living your best life. We are here in the studio right now. You are being joined by Lawson and Darren. Oh, so good to have you here, Daz. Good to be here today. Lyle is having some... Oh, well, he's not here today. <laughs> he's not. Well, he's not. I, we, I don't even know what he's doing. <laughs> he's not here. So. Say, can, I, last, can I come in? So I'm here gladly. Oh, that's so amazing. What are you grateful for this morning? Slow weekends. Oh, wow. Usually weekends I'm fairly busy with um, the work I do, um, travelling and whatever else. But this weekend, weekend off. And I just had a slow weekend in the sun and wind. Enjoying <laughs> the <life>. sun <laughs> and wind. Been, dude, we've been having windy Seattle weather here in, in, in Newcastle uh, uh, as of, uh, as of late. Tell you what I'm grateful for this morning. I've been incredibly busy over the weekend, unlike yourself. Oh, well, you we've do? had church and everything, but we've been helping, um, a group of girls who go to our church and live in a share house together move like, they live in a four-bedroom share house where they have probably ten people's worth of furniture because groups of people from the church have been living there for like oh, six so years. Stuff's this is like twelve couches. Like this is like one of the churches we use to like run care groups and do ministry out of. Um, but yeah, we've fully like my hands smell like bleach from cleaning and moving <laughs> and everything. Um, so that was fantastic. Also, I started my new job today. What's your new job? I'm working for the church, actually. Um, working at the Newcastle University Church under the church planting department. Uh, we have a church plant there. That's the church that I attend. And uh, basically going to be working as a Bible worker and doing ministry there. Great spot. Congratulations. And also we have to congratulate producer Shell and her children and now her grandchildren for being born. We have a new grandmother in the studio. So shout out, Shell. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. So before we get into it, before we even get into the good news, just have to like, just relish, just relish the fact that we have, yeah, just congratulate producer Shell and her- And Lyle. And Lyle and their kids and dude, uh, baby Florence Cordelia Southwell- uh, was born on Saturday uh, at the... Great day to begin life. Oh, 100% <laughs> on the Sabbath. Uh, was weighing, I believe it was, f- was it five pounds, Shell? Five, five and a half pounds. Yeah, good size. Very good cute. Size. Uh, I will say, I will say, and, and we can... Five pounds, 12 ounces. Five pounds, she knows. Yep. She knows. Of course, Grandma i got to say, like, <laughs> some babies, when they're born, look pretty ugly, and even their parents will admit it. I, well, some <laughs> most parents actually won't. They'll be like, no, it's my beautiful baby. But a lot of babies are born and they look pretty squishy and floppy. And depending on how the childbirth went, maybe they've got like a black eye or something. Um, but this baby is cute. It has hair. It's like amazing. So congratulations to those guys. Right now, let's get into some good news, Darren. Yeah, well, that is good. Apart from that good news, that's oh, very good news. Here's good some news. other good news, and um, right up my alley, being a children's ministries pastor, a mm. um, study coming out of Boston Children's Hospital, Okay, um, a study finding that regular physical activity linked to more fit preteen brains. Okay, okay, so more physical activity leads to a better, like, mental... Yeah, yeah, this is what the study says. Um, So Dr. Katerina Stamoulis, 
analysed brain imaging data for nearly 6,000 9 to 10 year olds. Mm. It found that physical activity was associated with more efficiently organised, robust, and flexible brain networks. Mm, definitely. So that makes that makes so much sense. It right? does make sense. It's not really rocket science, but it's now not. studies proving it. But this flies in the face of um the fact that most the average Australian child spends forty hours per week in front of some sort of screen. Mm. So we're increasingly uh, children are increasingly sedentary. Um, they don't sort of wander the neighbourhood anymore. Like when mm. I was a kid, it was head out um, and see you when the streetlights come on, unless or unless you get hungry. Um, yeah, yeah. Free-range play, and we had a whole farm to go and mm. get lost in and, and bush across the road. We could go and ride our bikes in and mm. get chased by railed horses or find an emu or a kangaroo or whatever else and um, wild pigs, all that sort of thing, a lot of fun. Um, but, yeah, today the average Australian child is not as active and is spending 40 hours in front of some sort of screen. Um, Dr Stamulus said it didn't matter what kind of physical activity children were involved in, um, but it only mattered that they were active. Mm. And I would imagine, like, so because when you're active and going outside, there is something to be said about, like, being fit itself, the blood flow that goes to the brain, helping you think and whatnot. That's why they say, like, when you actually have a shower, you know how when you're in the shower you think about, like, lots of stuff and you yep. have really good thoughts? It's because your brain is warm, essentially. Right. Exactly. And, the, and, the, and the blood is flowing. Um and it's the same thing when you exercise that your, you know, your blood is flowing, your brain is an organ, it's, you know, got blood flowing through it, you can think better. But also, I would imagine that playing outside, being involved in sports and outside play and doing all that stuff would present you with, you know, all just different challenges when you're, when you're playing a sport, you're thinking about, oh, how can I overcome how can i do this you know if you're if you're outside building a fort if you're outside you know running through the bush and i remember being young and and like be like with my friends like oh let's make our bush cubby house and so we'd we'd uh and you you'd know, you'd ride each other's forts and stuff like yeah, that yeah <laughs> all that kind of stuff it encourages problem solving um you know increase like skills in resilience and all that stuff, you know, just getting used to, you know, getting scratches on your knuckles and all that kind of stuff. Like it would breaking just... Breaking your leg sometimes. Oh, breaking your leg. <laughs> okay, I don't know who you were playing with. But There's I'm nothing sure... wrong with broken legs. They're I'm... almost like a badge of honour back then. I'm sure that happens. Oh, I've, mate, I've broken my fair share of bones, but <laughs> oh man, but if you're hanging out with your, with your six-year-old mates outside and you break a leg, that would be pretty tough. But, but pretty much it's like, yeah, like... Dude, good on like the well the research shows the research shows it and what it mm. says is um being active multiple times per week for at least sixty minutes had a widespread positive effect on brain circuitry. Yeah, children wow. who engage in high levels of activity showed beneficial effects on brain circuits in multiple areas mm. essential to learning and reasoning. These included attention, sensory and motor processing, memory, decision making, executive control. The ability to plan, coordinate, and control actions and behaviours. Mm. So, in other words, in, in an age where we think that learning is important, and we we now have, I mean, last week, um, Lyle was talking about kids starting school at two years old. <laughs> yeah, um, wild. So this flies in the face of that, and says get our children outside and active. If you want to manage behaviour and decision making, get them outside and active. Mm. When play is is seen as downtime. It's actually probably the best time 
to encourage behaviour, learning, organisation, all those skills mm. that we want to see in our children. I also believe like it would help children engage God better as well. Definitely. If, if we put our kids in a position where they're just, you know, like constantly surrounded by screens, um, again, that doesn't lead to, you know, an increase of of resilience and motivation and attention and all these things. In, in fact, it does the very opposite. You're, you're feeding children information without the context of, of character building and all that stuff. And so you lead to them not being able to engage with God as efficiently because it's like, you know, God is a hard subject. You know, standing for faith is something that's difficult. For a child to make a decision for God is a big thing. And it's like, how do we expect them to do that if we're just spoon-feeding them media? Like, if we're just putting them in that situation where we're not enabling them to be able to make big decisions by having, you know, well-rounded characters and personality that is encouraged by outside play. Yeah, I'm writing a booklet right now, which I'll probably come on air down the track and talk about. Oh, nice. The spiritual act of play. So watch your space. Oh, fantastic. All right. Just quickly, a big shout out to Geelong, where there's Harry and his mates who are in the lockdown being taxi drivers, helping vulnerable people for nothing. Wow. So that's the other good news story we saw today on the Mm. ABC. Check out Harry and his mates with their cars helping vulnerable people for nothing to do their shopping, whatever else needs to happen, free taxi service. I love that idea. Yeah, it's good to see even during like difficult times like this that people are still recognising the pr- the problems that other people are going through, helping vulnerable and those th- those in need. Um, yeah, just self-sacrifice. So that's good news out of the pandemic. Yeah, it is. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. All right, good stuff. Well, whilst Lyle's not here, Lyle, uh, as we've discussed on air before, does not care for the Olympics, um, unlike myself, which I love the Olympics. The Australian relay women break their own record and took gold. Yeah, dude. Australia, like, we are the swimming nation. We consistently win at swimming. We're currently sitting seventh in the point, in the medals tally at the moment. Um, we are, there is a few sports in which we are doing, you know, really well in coming up, particularly, um, basketball. We've, we've won our, uh, first heat against Nigeria, which was really good. Uh, which this is big because Team USA, who is like, they have basically the highest paid roster in all the Olympics because all of their players are from the NBA. Um, they've lost their first ever game in 14 years, uh, versus France. And so I'm looking at that as a sport that we're going to do very, like, we, we have the potential to actually win. Um, the Roos, they've done really well overnight. Yeah, dude, we're going fantastic. This is also, though, as things are heating up in the Olympics, it's also coinciding with a uh, spike in COVID currently in Japan, uh, which is expected. Honestly, they have been trying all this year. Basically, like, they have in January, they have a mass lockdown. Um, state of emergency. State of emergency, <laughs> and, and the, the COVID cases drop. And they're like, okay, well, we need to get ready for the Olympics. So they open everything up, and then they have a huge spike again in March. And then they lock everything down, and it goes down, and then they open up in May, and then it, and and now as the Olympics has come, they've opened things up again, and uh, yeah, we're seeing a COVID spike. So I guess this will be a really good testing ground then to see because like when you have the Olympics in town, you know, yes, you you got to think about the, the whole world population comes. as yep. well, but you you've got people from the whole world coming. And some are like the the most healthy people in the whole world. And so I guess it'll be a good litmus test to see, you know, 
like because not only will athletes be dealing be dealing with COVID if they get it, but also um, you know the different environment of Japan and different things. So we'll be able to see how much COVID and travel into uh, COVID affected country, which is pretty much every country at the moment, um, will you know. We'll 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 go and uh, we'll we'll see what happens. Speaking of COVID, man, we've got pretty much COVID stories this t- today because of particularly in Australia as well the things that have been going on. So if you were following the news, uh, you would have seen that on Saturday afternoon in, in many major cities, but especially uh, pretty much Sydney, Melbourne, Paris was huge. Um, Thousands of people marching in Paris. Yeah. Oh, all over the world. Yeah. But here in Australia, they had an anti-lockdown march, um, which is, yeah, has divided people, I would say, you know, differing opinions. Um, again, I'd really like to see, because ultimately the people have to kind of deal with this um, in terms of meeting that crowd. It's like the police. Uh, because you know, I had a mate who was a police officer who was in there. Yeah, wow. He was spat upon. He was kicked and he was punched. Yeah. Well, I saw that viral photo of the horse getting punched. That went viral. And, and people are divided on that. Did he punch the horse or not? Yeah, it, it's, it's, a bit, it's a bit sketchy. But essentially, like, oh, it's, it's a tough one, right? Because we, especially as Christians, like, we value freedom and freedom of speech. But at the same time, um, this locked... This, protest um and and many people can make the case like oh there's been plenty of protesting you know over the last year for you know um racial injustice and all this stuff Mm -hmm. you know what makes what what makes this any different um but it's like they were breaking a a a uh what is it a health Health order health of public health they're marching through a newly declared hotspot Mm -hmm. and it was also a march done in the guy, like for the direct and express purpose of not being COVID safe, because they were so no masks or so anything like that. No masks, no social distancing. Not that every protest over the world about every other subject was, you know, completely abiding by public health order laws. Like we have to understand and and, and accept that. Oh yeah, like there's there's problems in all of this. Um, but ultimately, yeah. So I guess we will be able to see. Um, whether this leads to a bigger COVID outbreak in Australia. And a longer lockdown. <laughs> and a longer lockdown, which is kind of, so, yeah, you know, protesting the lockdown by causing a longer and greater lockdown. I believe I read that, yeah, 57 um, people were, yeah, arrested yesterday um, and many, um, several police officers, because I think that was a response to police officers being in, uh, assaulted, spat upon, these kinds of things, whilst con- trying to control the crowd. Um, but as well, just in the last 24 hours, it's been revealed, just in New South Wales, there's 164 new COVID cases. And from this protest alone, which was which is kind of like a record number for us in New South Wales. That's right. And now because of this process, a protest will we will be seeing. Okay, well, you know what's what's the spike going to be? If there isn't a spike, then that kind of again informs us that oh maybe maybe the the, the maybe the protesters will right were right, but for the most part, just from what we're seeing now in the wake of these honestly pretty minor protests though like you know three and a half thousand people and it wasn't like anything terribly crazy happened they just broke a public health order which is like illegal by the way like i'm not saying that that's not bad but compared to some of the really really intense and crazy protests that have happened over the last year or so i think this the only place that we're really looking in terms of the wake of this protest is 
COVID cases. Yes, yes, yes. And longer lockdown, which yeah. we all, hey, how long is going to go on for? And this Delta variant is a little bit more, um, how you put it, you can catch it faster and quicker mm. than the other um, variants. So mm. it's all very interesting to watch what's happening so in Sydney. I'm really hoping these lockdown protesters are self-quarantining after these, over after going to that. Maybe that's uh, wishful thinking, but I, I feel like that would be for the best. All right, in the last minute I have, I just wanted to talk about um, some um, chatter that's been going on in the United Kingdom about um, essentially making churches a place that will necessitate a vaccine a vaccine passport. A passport to go to church? Yeah, well, <laughs> so we've talked much about travel, right, and how many countries, last week we talked about how Canada are fully opening their borders to not only, um, you know, US travel, but international travel, provided that you have a COVID vaccine. Yep. But uh, we see here, like, that, you know, now there's application to churches. And I think this is something that many Christians were worrying about. They're like, oh, this could be a bit hectic, a bit gnarly. But, and, and as it was being, as it's been uh, brought up uh, by ministers within the UK, um, ultimately the faith minister has denied reports uh, that the government will create a new will, uh, new, new rules or a COVID passport. They are, as it, as it stands at the moment, they are denying this, but other people in the government have different thoughts. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. All right, we've come to our interview section for this morning, and we have on the phone Taz Walker from Creation.com, uh, Creation Ministries International. Taz, are you there? I am there. Yes, it's awesome. Yes, thank you so much for joining us this morning. We're going to be talking it's about... really good, and Dan as well, yes. Good yes, to hear you. yes, welcome along. It's always great to discuss these things about creation. Oh. Yeah, that's right. Very exciting stuff. There's always good stuff going on. Oh, 100%. And obviously, you know, as, as you are a representative from creation.com, putting out constant material on, on the topic of, of creation and how that fits in. And, and I get, I understand or I would imagine that dinosaurs would be a huge part of the conversation when it comes to, you know, the early world. Dinosaurs are a huge part of the conversation. And uh, the other thing about dinosaurs is that uh, young people love dinosaurs. Even mm. even uh, kids that are in preschool love dinosaurs. Mm. Now, when I was a kid in Australia learning about dinosaurs, um, Australia didn't really feature much because all we had really that they found was these big, large wombats dip protodons and these big, large kangaroos and big, large emus. And they were okay, huge beasts, but... We didn't have the big dinosaurs that um, you see in other countries. Uh, that's right, but there's, a lot has changed over the last uh, little while. We won't uh, mention how many decades it's been. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm feeling old. Yeah, <laughs> not as old as a dinosaur, but feeling old. Well, that, not as old as a dinosaur. That's right. Yeah, but now that's Australia right. is uh, staking its claim to having one of the, the well, the bigger, if not one of the on the biggest sites of uh, of dinosaurs. With the oh, let me try and pronounce correctly, Australia Titan Cooperensis. Cooperensis. That's it. That's right. That's right. Uh, Australia Titan. So, you know, Titan is really big, mm. strong sort of uh, creature. Mm. And uh, there's Titans, where, uh, Titan dinosaurs, which are found uh, in uh, lots of countries around the world. And Australia has the, the largest in Australia. It was found out um, a thousand, over a thousand kilometres to the west of Brisbane. 
uh, at a place called Aramanga, or just west of Aramanga, actually. Okay. So, in terms of like but, dimensionally, like this, you know, how we, what are we talking about? Like a couple cars tall, like as big as a truck. Like how how big is it? Oh, bigger than dinosaur? that. A few bus, a few buses uh, lined up together, uh, longer than a basketball court. And uh, it is uh, higher than higher than a two-story building, so it is it is monstrous. And they found it out right out west. west. Yeah, it's incredible, absolutely incredible. Mm. So um, it's amazing how it was found. A, a, a couple lived on a property out there, uh, Robin and uh, Stuart, uh, Robin and Stuart McKenzie, and uh, they were driving around on motorbikes uh, one time, and they noticed these uh, sort of dark patch. Uh, in, uh, in the sediment, you know, in the in the in the dirt, and it was they, they realised it was a big, a monstrous, a monstrous, humongous uh, bone, and uh, it's the uh, the shoulder bone, you know, that goes from the shoulder to the elbow. Mm. It's uh, a humerus uh, of this dinosaur. So that's what they found. Two thousand six, they found it, but the big announcement was made just. Uh, just over a month ago, really big announcement in the press about it and pictures of it, artist impressions and that sort of thing. So it's, it's been really, really good. So did they find a bone or did they find a skeleton? Like how much of this? They found a few bones. They didn't find the, the total, but they didn't find the complete skeleton. They found just the, the humerus, which is it's the uh, from the shoulder to the elbow, that bone that's in the arm, the, yep. the, the, the foreleg. And uh, they found a few, a, a bit of a shoulder blade and a bit of the hip and a few other things. But uh, that's, that's all they found. So they scaled it up from the length of the bone uh, to sort of work out you know, so well if that's how long the the shoulder bone is, you know, the humerus is, then the rest of it would be this big. So that's how they they figured out the size. Mm. Now these guys who found this bone, Robin and Stuart McKenzie, you know, along with Scott Hucknell and these guys, um, have have gone together. They've published their findings and something that. Um, the article on creation.com that you, that you wrote mentions about this um, is particularly as a person of faith. What is noticeably absent um, is any mention of the flood of Noah that might give us some really important key context into, you know, how they, how this bone is. The reason why it's where it is. (laughs) And And so that's something like, I would love to get into you now with you now as someone who's quite familiar with this research that's being done. And also a Christian as well as is what then do we, you know, if they, if it was absent for them, yet we believe it happened, and according to the evidence, it kind of looked like, you know, how how does that uh, reconcile? How does, how does that come together? How do we understand that? Well, um, the people who discover these these dinosaurs, they are amazed at the, you know, how well. Well, this one is, you know, there's only a few isolated bones, but there's other places in Queensland in the same sorts of sediments, but you know, hundreds of kilometres away, where they find, you know, complete skeletons. And uh, so there's a, they call it, the, you know, up north, they call it the Dinosaur Triangle. Where, mm. And they've got uh, a big dinosaur museum up at Winton, which is a couple of hundred kilometres north of uh, Aramanga. And so Aramanga has become famous because of all the fossils found there. And so there's just there's all these animals which have been buried uh, there. And so particularly when you bury a complete animal, you need to bury it quickly. Uh, to, to preserve it, you need to, to cover it up. Otherwise, it'd be scavenged. 
And so it points to a catastrophe. And that's what the paleontologists say. They say things like, uh, in, in some mm-hmm. findings, they say there must have been some sort of a catastrophe here because it was very, so, you know, so well preserved, which is amazing. And so that's in Australia now, in, um, and uh, the sediments which this is found in, in Queensland, they extend down into New South Wales and across into South Australia. As a matter of fact, near Cooper Pedy, there was a dinosaur which was found, which was, they found the bones, but the bones had become opalized which is amazing. Uh, Incredible, isn't it? That would be pretty pretty, uh, valuable sort of dinosaur bone to have, which is is amazing. So I guess what it's proving also is that whatever whatever event happened, and we believe it's Noah's Ark, um, it was a worldwide event. It wasn't just in a certain section of the world, but it seems to have extended at least to what is now known as Australia as well. Uh, Exactly right. And as you say, it's, it's only been in recent years, recent decades that... You know, lots of discoveries have been made, not only of um, dinosaur bones, which uh, like uh, Robin and Stuart uh, Mackenzie found, and uh, but they found dinosaur footprints, which is amazing. Up near Winton, there's a place called Lark Quarry where there's uh, footprints of big dinosaur footprints, medium and small, and uh, the, the uh, guys from the Queensland uh, University studied these uh, recently on the last uh, five years, and he sort of said, hey, these things are standing on their toes. They've not got their whole foot down. So he, he speculated that it must be in water, and the water is supporting them, and they're trying to move along, um, you know, uh, and yes, their toes are touching the sand. Mm-hmm. And then after that, it was buried, and the footprints are preserved. So... And there's some huge footprints, which even further north of that, uh, uh, where, um, you know, the, the, the great big sword of dinosaur, something like uh, Titan, you know, this Titan, uh, Cooperensis, they call him Cooper, Cooper mm. for short. And uh, it's, it's quite amazing. And uh, Cooler, I think it is. Uh, did this come? Yeah, I think it's our cooler. Something like that is where they found the footprint of these amazing dinosaurs. And, they, and it was just found in a, in a creek bed there. Somebody was up at this particular uh, homestead and they said, hey, they did dinosaur footprints in the, in, the, in the creek bed. And so they sent up a paleontologist and a team of uh, uh, volunteers and they've uh, excavated them. So that's quite fascinating. Wow! So a lot of evidence of dinosaurs and uh, disaster and shoulder, you know, shoulder deep water and all that sort of thing. Mm. Now, something that's, that's mentioned in your article is about the the Winton Formation, which it seems like is the place where a lot of the study is <laughs> happening because they're finding so much stuff there. Essentially, like paleontologists <laughs> are just loving this area. What what are the factors that are kind of creating this area? You know, that in Australia we have our very own. Um, well, it, it seems dinosaur excavation area that we were just making constant discoveries. What? How does that happen? How does that happen? Well, first of all, you need a lot of sediment and a lot of water is washing this stuff in. And uh, so that's how it happens. So you have movements of water, which is mm. washing the sediment. It gets washed in sideways or washed along, you know, like uh, water going into a, a deeper area and it deposits the sediment. And uh, there's a whole area goes from 
north, right up to the Cape York, goes way, way down into the middle of New South Wales, mm-hmm. right across into South Australia, right up into the Northern Territory. This whole area is where there's sediments, and, and they are, you know, uh, one or two or three kilometres deep, the sediments, mm-hmm. and so they've been washed in, and the wind and formation is basically the top formation on this kilometres thick sediment layer. And uh, there would have been sediments on top of those winds and formation, which were deposited, and uh, they would have been eroded uh, as the floodwaters of Noah's, you know, Noah's flood, as the waters started to go down, the top layers would have been eroded. And the winds and formation is about the last, uh, is the topmost formation as the um, geologists have sort of gone around and, and, and mapped it and that. Yeah, so that's cool, really cool. It's it's really cool, and of course, for us as people of faith, you know, it seems like, yeah, paleontologists are saying, oh, we've got all these basins, this sedimentary, there must have been some kind of catastrophe. Of course, we have something to point to. Uh, in, that's right. In, in, you know, Genesis Genesis chapter 6 to 9, like right, right there in the Bible. And I guess, you know, my, my question is like for us, I guess we have a story that explains it, but but is it, is our story of the flood really far-reaching enough to cover all this evidence that we have? Oh, absolutely. Because the, the, the Bible actually gives us, it's, uh, it's a record you could, well, uh, a good way of uh, uh, viewing it is it's actually what Noah and his family recorded uh, during, the, you know, during the time of the flood. And it's very precise as to sort of what happened on uh, when, and, and it lasted about a year. And it talks about the big catastrophe that occurred. And there's a lot of cre- uh, geologists, uh, creation geologists, who sort of are uh, going around and, uh, and interpreting stuff and uh, re- recording stuff and reporting stuff, uh, these sort of evidence of, of what's been found during the flood, uh, deposited in the flood. It was an enormous catastrophe. You know, we, we can imagine it on Star Wars, planets getting blown up, but mm. it's hard to imagine it on the Earth, you know. Mm. Yeah, seeing it right before us. It's yeah, this is truly a massive event and, and it's also cool to see, you know, as we study the flood like historians have studied the flood and particularly people who um observe ancient cultures and they see that this story is is rampant throughout pretty much every ancient culture, that they all have this story of the flood and now we can see it even confirmed through science. I think this is really bolstering for our faith, wouldn't you think? Yeah, that's right. Exactly right. It's confirmed to you go out and say, well, you know, what would you expect to find? And so you'd expect to find stories because everybody alive today is uh, descended from Noah and his family. Uh, they, uh, Noah and his wife, they had three sons and they had their, each of those had their wives. So everybody comes from those eight people. And so you'd expect the story to be passed from generation to generation. Oh, really? And uh, and they'd expect uh, that there would be maybe variations like Chinese whispers passing the message on from generation to generation. And you mm-hmm. find that there's stories in Australian Aboriginals have stories about uh, a, a flood where everybody it drowned except some people that were on a canoe and they had a, mm-hmm. a dog with them and a, a bird came across with a with a leaf in its mouth, you know. So that's uh, amazing, the, the correspondence between the account of, uh, uh, you know, Aboriginal groups in Australia and with the account in Genesis, which indicates wow. it points back to a real event. Amazing. 
Wow, Taz, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.